Good morning. We're going to be in 2 Timothy to start this morning. Um, I was assured on uh, Wednesday night by your young people uh, in Bible class that my accent was bearable. Um, so hopefully that'll be all right. And then I decided I'd go climb or try to climb a mountain or two. And, well, you can hear what it did to my voice. And so I've been protecting that uh, all weekend. And that's been the hard part is I like to sing. And so I've been speaking. And so I haven't been able to sing as much and loudly as I'd like to. Uh, and actually, I think this actually sounds better than it did yesterday. So just imagine. Uh, this morning, it is tremendous to be with you. Uh, it's been a great weekend. Uh, 13 hours yesterday, right, here, hanging out with young people, uh, and a lot of things went on in this room that are a lot different than what's going on right now, Um, but it was a great time. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was wonderful, and I just appreciate this congregation. My name is Travis Creasy. Uh, I'm here on behalf of the Riverside Church of Christ that meets in Fayetteville, Tennessee, Uh, and so thankful to be here with you uh, as we get to talk about recharging our service And that's kind of what we're doing when we come together. We're recharging ourselves to go out and be servants. That's what Jesus, how Jesus described leadership. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, he's commending Timothy. He's kind of giving his uh, approach to ministry uh, to Timothy, this personal letter. As you can imagine, a personal letter is written a little differently than a letter written to an entire group of people. And so in verse 4, he kind of gives him this idea of things to beware of. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Uh, In my lessons throughout the weekend, we've talked about how Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is recorded in trying to get his disciples to see things the way that they really are. And the way things really are is how God sees things. That is the reality and not the the hierarchy uh, that people put in place. His disciples were trying to play it the way everybody else played it, the way the Romans played it, the way the Pharisees played it, and how the world wants to work. And Jesus comes along and says, no, the greatest is the the least. The one who is the servant of all is the greatest. And so we talked a little bit throughout the weekend about signs that Jesus uses. In fact, he says this generation will not receive a sign. And then he goes on to kind of give his disciples some signs, uh, reminding them of the number 12 and the number 7 and the number 3. And we'll unpack that a little bit uh, as we go along. But Jesus warns them in Mark chapter 12. You'll turn over there with me and we'll spend most of the rest of our time in the gospel of Mark. But Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And so what is it that entangles us? Pride and the struggle for power. The pride. I I have made the personal decision to try and remove the word pride from my vocabulary except in connection to Jesus Christ. 
That is what I boast in, as Paul says, or at least that's what I attempt to do. And so we talked a little bit yesterday and through the weekend about the leaven, the influence of the Pharisees, the influence of the Sadducees, the influence of the world's powers upon us, and whether or not we buy into that. Who sets the status quo for us? And so Jesus warns them of the leaven of those in quotation marks, power. They think that they are an authority when God is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the fulfillment of the number 12 by defeating the worst of the Jewish authorities. You can go to Mark chapter 11 verse, and through, uh, chapter 11 through chapter 12 and verse chapter 14 as well. And you see these authorities kind of put Jesus to the test uh, leading up to his crucifixion. Uh, do you belong with us? You know, at best, they're trying to get Jesus to fit into their group. You know, Jesus, are you a Sadducee? Are you a Pharisee? Are you this? Are you that? And at worst, they're trying to find a reason to have nothing to do with him and eventually do what, in fact, happened. And even the Roman authorities in Mark chapter 15, 1 through 5, John 18, 28 through 40, when he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It does not play by your rules. He even goes on to say that you, have only, you only have the power to do what you're going to do to me because it's been given to you from above. And so we, as believers in Christ, we take solace in that. That God is ultimately the one who is in control. You see, God is everywhere. And there's nothing that we can do to change that. Not that we necessarily would. The difference is, is are we aware that he is everywhere? And he has done so many things to make us aware so that we might turn to him. That we might buy into what he's saying, which is truth. Which is powerful to change people. So the question is, is how do we remove the pride that trips us up? Well, in humility, we give all we have. You know that everybody has the ability to give all that they have because it's all that you have. And, and God knows what your ability is. He's the one who gave it to you. And so we see going on through the book of Mark, and we'll look here in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting in money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I don't know about you, but abundance could be my middle name. I have all the things. When people ask me birthdays, Christmas, hey, what do you want? I can't even come up with anything. I have everything that I could possibly want. Of course, there's always extravagance. But abundance... And here this poor widow 
will be remembered for all of eternity because she gave two small copper coins. But it was all that she had. In Mark chapter 14, we see there in verses 3 through 9, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, there's a key word, why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment was, could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can uh, do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial, and I truly and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, the Bible oftentimes gets uh, a bad rap uh, when it comes to women in our society today, but really the Bible is innovative when it comes to that. Here are two stories in which Jesus looks at women and goes, here is the ultimate example of what you should be to the world. This woman here at Bethany has done what? She's fulfilled the two greatest commands. She's loved God, Jesus is God, with all that she has and loved her neighbor as herself. I'm going to give all that I have. She has done what she could. Isn't it great that God honors when we do all that we can? I mean, in comparison to what he's done, it's nothing, right? We, we, we all understand that. He's done the heavy lifting. He's done all the things necessary. He's provided all the things that are necessary for godly life. He says, I just need you to give me what you can. Do what you can. And I can do many wonderful things with that. Paul puts it this way, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Jesus puts it, it is finished. Mark fifteen thirty seven, John nineteen thirty, in his fulfillment of the number seven. That's what seven means to the Hebrews. It's a completion. It goes all the way back to creation, right? It's it is finished. Jesus fulfills defeating uh, the authorities of this world, the world powers, as Paul would put it. And then he goes on to finish the job on the cross. Number three, beware of the love of money. Uh, in John's account, it's revealed who is the one who is upset about this ointment, right? You remember who it is? It's Judas. In verse 6 of John's account, he says he was a thief. Where does a thief's loyalty lie, or where does a person who's greedy, where do their loyalties lie? Not with God, but with the people who can give them the money that they want. Mark chapter 14, verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought out an opportunity to betray him. 
as we wrap up our time in God's word this morning, we need to know that Jesus fulfilled the only way that he could. Jesus fulfilled for all of us all the things necessary so that we can have a relationship with God through him. Through the number 12, he showed the powerful their limitations. You ever felt like you couldn't do something? You ever felt like you were being held back or held down by someone or something? That was the life of these people that Jesus came and lived with. And yet he comes and he says, you are able through God to do the impossible, which would have been to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And in number seven, he shows us completion, maturity. He shows us how to live. Not only did he come and save us, but then he goes and makes things practical. He says, here's how it's supposed to be done. This is what this looks like. If you're like me, I need to be told things many, many times, over and over and over and over again before they sink in. Just have a discussion with my wife. She can back me up on that. Number seven, he fulfills that by being the author and finisher of our faith. The author. He wrote the book, and then he finished it. He showed us how to finish. He not only allows us to begin, but then he runs it with us. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you've ever run a 5K or finished something along those lines. Man, isn't the finishing better than the beginning? I love to be done. I feel really bad after it, but it's great to be done. It's great to hang that medal on the wall. There will be nothing that feels as great as hearing the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then in the number 3, Matthew 16 in verse 4, he says the only sign that they will receive is the sign of Jonah, the number 3, which we immediately connect with. The three days in the tomb, he's going to leave the tomb empty. Luke 24 and verse 5, why do you seek the living among the dead? We are all living sacrifices. You came here not to see dead people necessarily, but living sacrifices. That's what we've just sung. This is what we've partaken of is a living sacrifice. We proclaim the goodness of God until we go to him or he returns and takes us with him. Also the sign of Jonah. Remember how Jonah felt about the Ninevites? He was mad at the end of that, right? How dare... I knew, God, that if, you, if they heard your word, they would repent. And I don't want them repenting. Sounds a lot like Jesus' disciples. Sounds a lot like the Pharisees. You're not here to save those old Samaritans, are you? You're not here to save the Romans, are you? That couldn't possibly be the case. Jesus says, that's absolutely. I'm here to save those who are lost. I'm here to save those who know they're lost. As Jesus said to the scribe in Mark 12, 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We're not far from the kingdom of God. We're right here with it. We are the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is there already. We're living that out. And wherever you go, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? 
But we're taking that everywhere we go. We're showing people the kingdom of God in our celebrations, the kingdom of God in our shortcomings, the kingdom of God when we mourn together till Jesus returns. What hinders you from being baptized? When did Jesus not become enough? Maybe you feel stuck. Anybody here ever felt stuck? This is the participation part. Anybody? Right? Maybe you feel that this morning. Hopefully you see these hands in the air. And there may be somebody saying, I'm stuck right now. Or maybe you're seeing these hands. You go, okay, well, I'm not alone. You're in a good place if you're stuck and you're here with us today. Because you're probably not alone in that. Maybe you feel like there's a rock in a hard place and you're right between it. Maybe you're asking a similar question to the one found in Mark, t- Mark 16, 3. Who will roll away the stone for us? It's a good question, right? They're wanting to get to the body of Jesus, to honor it, to take care of it. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you're in that, between that rock and a hard place, and you're like, who's going to roll the stone away? Well, I have good news for you. You can take heart this morning in that Jesus is still rolling stones. I know that this church, just by my short time with them this weekend, are, is a church that is a loving church. It's been wonderful to be here with you this weekend, and there would be nothing greater that can happen this morning than someone committing themselves to the kingdom of God only because God has committed himself to you in making you aware of his presence. Or maybe you're there and, and you want to recommit your life. Let me encourage you to do that. There's no greater decision, and it's really one we make every day that we wake up, that I'm going to live for Jesus today better than I did yesterday. You know, when we do all that we can, he honors that. He loves that. And so this morning, if there's something that we can do to assist you in one way or the other in your walk with Jesus, I know by my experience just in the last couple of days that this church would love nothing more than to assist you in whatever you may need as we stand and sing.